Hi, this is Robert Furrow and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. Like the Bereans who receive the Word of God with all joy, but search the Scriptures to make sure those things are true. Our first question today has to do with the Mount of Transfiguration. What is the Transfiguration about? The Transfiguration came seven days approximately after Jesus had told his disciples that some of them there would not die until they saw Jesus in all of his glory. I remember the first time that I read that, I just had to get up and leave. I read it and I thought, they're all gone and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Had I just continued to read, the very next thing it says is about a week later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain and is transformed in front of them. His, 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 his robe becomes brighter than any launderer could make it. And Moses and Elijah join him. And they talk about his up and coming death in Jerusalem. And Peter gets overwhelmed. And Peter says, it's good that we're here which is one of the biggest no-duh things of all time, right? It's good that we're here. And then he said, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, which brings Jesus down to that point where, where uh, Elijah and Moses are. And so a cloud overshadows them, and a voice comes from the heavens that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, what is this all about? A couple of things. There is uh, a general understanding of who Jesus is, a greater understanding of who Jesus is, that all of the sudden people can see clearly, the, those three disciples can see clearly that Jesus is someone more than just a man. They see him in his glory. Later on, both John and Peter would write about it. Peter about being an eyewitness and John saying, we saw the Son of Man in his glory. They would, they would write about it. Now, Moses and Elijah represent the law. In fact, I don't think, uh, yeah, I'm still going, all right. Um, I thought perhaps, there we go. Um, Moses and Elijah, I thought perhaps we weren't on for some reason. Um, Moses and Elijah represent the law and Jesus is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the law. Jesus said, all of the things written in the scriptures pertain to me. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of me. So there is this subordination of the law and the prophets to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those. And then when that cloud comes over because Peter is talking nonsense, let's build tabernacles, let's stay up on this mountain, and God says, listen to him, we now have direction from the, he from, from the ancient of days, from the heavenly father, that we are to listen to Jesus. It's the actual words of God that come out of heaven telling us to listen to Christ. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 1 that says, In time past, God spoke through his prophets, but in these days, he has spoken to us through his Son. It is also a preview of coming attractions. One day, we will see Moses, we will see Elijah, we will see Jesus in all of his glory. Also, they had bodies which I think is important when we consider the intermediate state. Somehow, they were able to identify them as Moses and Elijah. And so when someone dies, they are in the presence of God and have some form of a body until the actual resurrection when they are glorified. So all of these things are very important to what the Mount of Transfiguration is. If you have a question today, then go ahead and write the word question in front of it and then write out your question and uh, we'll bring it in and we will take a look at it. Uh, we have another question that is, what does it mean to receive Jesus as your personal savior? So there is some criticism about the concept personal savior. 
they will say, there are those who will say that this is never in the Bible. You don't find personal Savior in the Bible. So that we shouldn't be telling people to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. I think that criticism is unwarranted because just because the phrase might not be found in the scriptures, when we receive Christ, and John 1, 12 says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. When we receive Christ, when we invite him in, when we are now ready to live for him with everything that we have, wanting to give everything to him, then we are born again. Our spirits are brought to life and we are transformed. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. So with this transformation, it's because Jesus has come inside of you. He is now in you and you are in him. It doesn't get more personal than you receiving Jesus and he has saved you from your sins. That's what the cross is all about. What is it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He, the, the atoning death of Jesus upon the cross that we invite him in, we receive him, our spirits come to life. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, the Bible says, in the day that you eat it, you will die. They ate it and they did die eventually physically, but they died spiritually on the spot. Jesus said the day is coming and now is when those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. No wonder he said a chapter before that, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What did he mean by being born again? Your spirit had to be quickened. And I like the way the King James Bible says that. It says that we have been quickened. Uh, the New King James will say we have been brought to life. It, it's in Christ that we have been brought to life. And Jesus came to give us life and life everlasting. And so uh, I don't really follow or, or accept the criticism for the personal savior. I also don't accept the criticism that we're teaching easy believism. I think that that same uh, criticism was leveled against the New Testament writers, leveled against Paul. We are saved by grace through faith. They always wanted to add some kind of a work-based system. And, and they're still around today. The, in the New Testament times, they wanted Christians to get circumcised. They wanted them to keep the dietary laws. They wanted them to keep the law of Moses, especially the festivals. And in our day, there are people that will say, well, you've got you've to be baptized in order to be saved. I think it's important that you're baptized, but that's not what salvation is. Uh, that you got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You got to go to our church in order to be saved. Um, the social gospel, in, in order to really be saved, then you've got to be doing all of these things for the poor. No, we will do things for the poor. There is no doubt about that. We will do them. However, because that's what we do as Christians, as believers, we have mercy, we have compassion, we feel a need to do that. But you don't put the cart before the horse. It's salvation and then the works follow as evidence that we've been saved, not works that lead to salvation. So when people are critical about receiving Christ, giving people invitations, what does the Bible say? That we are ambassadors of Christ as if we were imploring people to give their lives to Jesus. That's an invitation. Peter gave an invitation on the day that people got saved. And so I dismiss all of the criticism of making false uh, disciples when you give um, invitations, there are always going to be people, there are always going to be tares. There's always going to be false disciples. So why would we stop giving people an invitation because we're afraid we're going to make false disciples? Let God be the one to work and sort that out. God opens up the hearts of people who will believe. When Paul preached to Lydia in Philippi, the Bible says, and God opened her heart and she believed the things that Paul had said. So um, great question and I, I understand why it's asked uh, because there is a lot of criticism today 
about altar calls and eat what they what they will call easy believism. So we have a question from Jari. Jari joins us from YouTube. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, "Can angels help people the same way humans can? They drive cars, bikes, etc., and help when no human is available. How should we view testimonials of people seeing angels?" That's a great couple of questions, Jari. Um, first of all, I'm going to say yes to the first question. Some people have entertained angels unaware. And we know that angels have taken on human form. And we also know in Hebrews chapter 1 at the end of the chapter that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have life. So we have life and they and 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 we have salvation and they minister to us as we're doing the work of the gospel. I find that to be, by the way, kind of like the Old Testament. When you had Jacob the younger serving Esau the older, when you had Joseph's boys, the older getting the younger getting the blessing over the older, and it seemed like God did this a lot. Angels are above humans. They're stronger than us. They they can they can do more than us. The Bible says that Jesus became a little lower than the angels, which means in whatever way, the angels are above us. And yet, God has them serving us and we are the one taking the gospel out to the lost world. God could have reversed that. He could have had angels being the one doing the work of the gospel, the preaching of Christ, sharing the gospel with people and us supporting them. But God chose fit to see to have us be the ones who would share the gospels and angels share with that. So yeah, I do believe angels can take on human form. They could easily drive cars or ride a bike. Um, I think it would be a pretty lousy angel if he couldn't ride a, uh, ride a bike, by the way, or drive a car. So yes, I do think that 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 can be done. Now the second part: When do human? Oh. Uh, Let's see, yeah, your second part of your question. And help when no human is available, how should we view testimonials of people saying angels? Um, I don't know about when no one's available. I think angels come in and are involved even when people are available. But testimonials, that's a whole different story. The Bible says not to despise prophecy and I believe in the supernatural and I have certain things in my life that if I tell you what happened, you might question it. You might say, I don't know if that really happened to you. So when people tell me something that's supernatural, I don't want to judge them. But I've just got to say, my own personal bent is to be, is to question, is to say, did that really happen? I don't watch videos or read books on people that went to heaven and want to describe what heaven's like. I would rather look at the word of God for that. Um, and when people have angel stories, I'm not particularly impressed by them unless it's someone I know and it's, it's someone with a character that I know that this person isn't going to be telling this story unless something like that really happened. And like I said, I've got a couple of things in my life that when I tell people, they're pretty amazing. In fact, I think I have maybe, I think three of different events that happened that are, are pretty spectacular. So I don't want to write off that they can't happen to other people. I just feel a lot of times when you start listening to what they're saying, they're not biblical. They're, they're trying to say something else. It seems to me like they're seeking attention. I don't really want to judge them, but I have a hard time um, believing when people talk about the supernatural. When I was um, in camp, when I was like 16 years old, we'd gone to a Methodist camp in Texas. And um, one of the kids told me that he had seen an angel in his room. He was seven feet tall, broad shoulders, and just appeared in his room. I never even thought why that God would do that. But I remember saying to God, I want to see an angel. The reason I wanted to see it was because then I would know it's true. See, we believe. We trust in Christ. And we believe we are saved by faith. We're not saved by surety. And it's as if God said to me, no, you aren't. I'm not going to let you see an angel for that reason. You live for me because you believe me. Not seeing, yet we believe. Like Abraham, when God told him 
he was old and 75 years old or so, maybe a little older. And Abraham, and, and God says, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, well, Eleazar is my, my heir to my kingdom. I don't have any kids. And God took him outside and said, look at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky. This is a, a man who was very old. His wife is, is old as well. And it says that Abraham believed and was accounted righteousness. He believed what God said. I think there's enough evidence within the scriptures for us to be able to believe what God has said. So I don't want to be critical of people that have accounts and stories um, of the supernatural things that happen to them. I believe in the supernatural. I believe that they can happen, um, but I find myself skeptical. I'm kind of a, a little bit of a skeptic at heart. Thank you, Jari, for your question. I appreciate that. We have a question that comes to us from Facebook. This is Roland Morgan. Roland says, what does the scriptures mean? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? Thank you, Roland, I appreciate that. Good to have you here with us, by the way. Um, okay, so there's a couple of passages. This one you, you quote that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that there are tares and wheat. We know that there are counterfeit Christians and genuine Christians. We know that some people have not made a commitment to Christ at all. They're pretending or they're trusting in the wrong thing. So doing the will of my father, what is the will of the father? What was the will of the Father when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, if possible, take this cup from me, nevertheless not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus went to the cross and suffered that great death humiliation, the brutal death of the cross, so that we could have eternal life. And so the will of the Father is that all would be saved. That says twice in the Bible, God desires all men to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's will that we would believe, that we would be saved. It's not talking about some kind of work that you have to do to be saved, which people might try to turn it into, but it's talking about believing in him. Uh, Jesus said, the works of my father are to believe in him who he sent. So our works is to believe and that's not even works. There's something about a works-based religion that is attractive to us. And I think it has to do with our pride. Paul said, we are saved by grace through faith, but not by works, lest any man should boast. And so we have a tendency to want to boast. And you can't boast about grace. You can't say, God chose me because I'm no one. God chose me because he gave me the opportunity. He died on the cross. He sent his son and he gave me grace. Look at what a great person. You can't boast on that. It takes it out of the way. But if I've got to be baptized to be saved, then I can boast about that. Well, I've discovered you've got to be baptized to be saved. So I've been baptized and that's how I was saved. I believed and I was baptized. If I got to speak in tongues to be saved, I can boast about that. If I've got to go out, the, the whole social gospel thing. If I've got to go out and do works in order to be saved, I can boast in those. So those who say, Lord, Lord, are people that confess to be Christians, but are not really Christians. And so you've got to examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. I think that's the last chapter of 2 Corinthians. Examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. And people say to me, well, you're hurting the assurance, their people's assurance of, of Christ. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt your assurance that you are saved. We are to put on our helmet of salvation, which is making sure you're saved. But I certainly don't want you to not be saved, but to think you're okay because you go to church, to think you're okay because you were brought up in a Christian home, to think you're okay because you prayed some prayer or raised your hand, but you haven't made a genuine commitment to him. Now, Jesus also said that some will say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. So you can even have people who think or maybe even do miracles or, or think they cast out demons or 
maybe even did cast out demons, but they were never saved. And we say, well, why would God do that? I think for one of the reasons that we know there are a lot of shysters in the past. There, there were a lot of faith healers that were putting in earpieces in their ear and having somebody read cards. They were memorizing cards and people before they came out. Um, they knew things about people. Then they pretended like they didn't know them. We know that those things are documented and people still got saved in their rallies. They committed their lives to Christ. I've had the question before, I got saved at this guy's rally. I don't think he's a real Christian. What does that mean about my salvation? You didn't get saved by putting your trust in a false teacher or a shyster. You got saved by putting your trust in Christ. And if God uses the words of the gospel through a false teacher, then to save you, then you are genuinely saved because you came to Christ. So um, Roland, we wanna make sure that we really have that commitment. We search our hearts. Have I really, have I really been saved? Am I just playing a game? Do I, do I have the fruit of salvation in my life? Jesus said, if you say you love me and you don't wanna keep my commandments, then, well, First John says we're lying. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll wanna keep my commandments. So if you now say, well, I made a commitment to the Lord, I gave my life to him, but I don't wanna do what he says. Ooh, that's, I, I would say, you need to go back and examine your commitment. Because when you make a genuine commitment, you want to do what he says. And you say, well, that sounds like works. No, it's works that follow salvation. Salvation brings transformation. James said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He wasn't saying I got saved by faith. He was saying the things I do reveal the true, genuine commitment that I have in Christ. So thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. If you are joining us for the first time, we are really glad you're here. We have another question um, from Psychman45. Question, I have a niece to help in family, in family crisis, but after I prayed, told her God told me to stay out of it and she got to see the situation work itself out and me relax about it. Should I have said, I believe God told me, since the people believe anything in our world, wouldn't I believe this or that be the same as saying nothing? Um, no, I don't, I don't think that that's the case, psych man. Um, and thank you for joining us again here today. Um, I, I think humility is never a bad thing. And I think pride is always a bad thing. And so if I say, God told me, and I know when God speaks to me, Peter didn't know when God spoke to him. One moment he heard from God and said, Jesus is the Christ. The next moment, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And I, you have what's going on in your mind. You have God revealing things to you and you have the enemy shooting fiery darts. And the enemy is working to try to make us prideful. And so the Bible says, don't judge prophecy. And in essence, what you told her was prophecy. God told me to stay out of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, psych man, that that is sinful. Your question though, should I have said, I believe God told me, I think is better. Because what you're saying then is, hey, look, I'm not infallible. I, I don't have a direct line to God. I'm not picking up a telephone and God's talking to me. I believe I heard this. And I think my question would be, have you ever been wrong? Have you ever thought God spoke to you and you've been wrong? I had a friend of mine when I was in uh, the Foursquare Church. Um, and this is, I, I guess we left the Foursquare Church when I was about 20. It's where I met um, Lisa, my late wife. And um, uh, he believed that God had told him that a girl there was going to marry him. And he told everybody, God told me this girl is going to marry me. She was engaged to someone else uh, or, or she got engaged to someone else. He believed it while she was walking down the aisle. He believed it even when the vows were being told until he finally said, man and wife. And then he didn't know what to believe. There was a crisis in faith in his life because for some reason he believed he knew what God was saying to him without the confirmation of the scriptures. And that's why we want to stay humble. 
if in the Old Testament, if you spoke as a prophet and your prophecy didn't come true, they killed you. So you, you're very careful to go out on a limb and make sure that you are right when you said it. So I, I, I'm very careful not to put words in God's mouth. So I very rarely say, God told me. I might say, God spoke to my heart. Um, I believe God spoke to my heart. But certainly when I'm telling people, I'm telling someone, God told me to, and it has to do with the situation, I always say, I believe. I believe God told me. I think it's a humble thing to do. I think it opens it up for them to know, I can judge this. This could be God's word or not. And I can judge it. And when people have given me direct words, sometimes I've received them and sometimes I haven't. I've rejected when someone's come to me and said, God told me to tell you this. I've told them, I don't receive your word. I don't believe it was from God and I reject it. And I don't think that God would do such a, say such a thing. And I rejected it right away. And it came back to be right. When I told the guy that, he said to me, I have never been wrong. And I said, all right, hold on. And I went out, we was at one of our pastor's conferences. I went out and I got his pastor and I brought him in and I said, tell him what you just told me. And so he told his pastor what he just told him. And I said, and then he said that he's never been wrong. And I asked him, does your wife think the same thing? Does your wife say you've never been wrong? Can you imagine saying such a thing? I've never been wrong. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked and pride is our reset button. And that's why we want to stay as far away from these things as we can. It's just wisdom to walk in humility and walking in humility is saying, I believe because if you're wrong, if you say God said something and you're wrong, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be the place of putting words in God's mouth. Now, I'm really glad God spoke to you. God told you to stay out of it. I'm really glad that God was glorified in it, which is the way that it really should work, right? You believed you received something from God. If, if you didn't do that and you got involved in it, then that would have been sin. Because the Bible says, for you to believe something is wrong and you do it anyway, it's sin. If you believe that God spoke to you and you, did, and you got involved in it, then that would not be putting trust in what you believed God spoke to you about. So there really is a balance and a fine line, psych man, uh, to be able to um, tell people God told me and for you to listen to God. But know that a personal revelation is not like the Word of God the, when the Bible tells us something. When I can go, the Bible told me, then boy, that's much more solid than a personal revelation because personal revelation can always be wrong. And no matter how spiritual I am, I can have a, a strong misunderstanding. All right, so I hope I understood your question there um, correctly psych man and um, I hope uh, that you are helped by that. Uh, we have another question that comes to us from Debbie. Debbie joins us from YouTube and Debbie says, what does it mean do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces? Matthew 7 verse 6. All right, thanks Debbie for your question. So what I think it means is you and I have been given revelations of wonderful things. Things that are like, the Bible says that searching the scriptures is like looking for, for gold and jewels. So we are, we are given information that is glorious about our Savior and about God. And if someone is just attacking God when we are sharing with them, then there's a time when you go, this person isn't genuine. They're, 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 only, they're only attacking. When, when I'm having a conversation with someone and they do not accept what I'm saying, I, I share it and they don't accept it and then they mock it. And there comes a time when I think, you know what? I'm just gonna wait. I don't wanna cast my pearl before swine. And when he's to turn and tell you to pieces, if you just continue, to answer and sometimes we feel like we have that we have to do that like this guy's got answers about the bible and so you give them a good answer 
You give them another good answer. You give them another good answer and they just go on to the next answer, to the next answer, to the next answer. Well, then at some point you realize this person is not genuinely, he's trying to tear me apart. He's not genuinely trying to find out what the Word of God says. Uh, I would love to go to this passage and read it and see if there's anything else we might be able to learn from the context, which is always important whenever you're looking at any, any kind of passage. So I want to go to Matthew um, 7, 6 and just take a look here. Um, so it's, it is the section where Jesus says, do not judge. And I'm going to go ahead and put it on screen for you here to see. And so Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look at the plank is in your own eye. So this tells us that when he's talking about judgment, he's talking about sitting in the seat as a judge over someone. I don't know people's motives. I don't know what goes on in their heart, but I can see when people are doing things that are wrong and I can lovingly, gently, right? The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to speak uh, in humility, correcting those that are in opposition. If you see someone who is, is in sin, Galatians 6 says, go to them in a spirit of gentleness. So, I, but I gotta make sure the plank's out of my own eye. I can't go to someone and try to correct them with a plank in my eye. And then he says, hypocrite, because you got this giant board sticking out of your eye and you're worried about the speck in everybody else's eye, remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample um, them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. And so I do think that has to do with us sharing our faith, the judgment that we have that I'm gonna give someone, I'm gonna talk to Christ about them. Once they reveal that they're not open, I, I back away. I don't continue to push. I'm looking for an opportunity. I'm looking to be led by the Spirit. So I think uh, that is what um, that passage is about. Where are we at? Where the, here we go. All right, so uh, thank you, Debbie. I appreciate your question and good to see you here today. We have another question from Barbara. Barbara joins us from YouTube. Barbara says, I recently heard a Lutheran pastor say nowhere in the Bible does it say God is a man or a woman. She said that because of the discrepancy in translations from Greek said God is spirit, not, uh, I think that's gender, right? Not gender. Um, okay, well, she's wrong. The Bible uses the word he to speak of God. Um, God created man, humans, in the image of God, male and female. And there are times when the Bible uses the mother instinct to compare it to God and the father instinct to compare it to God. But I think we're thinking wrong. We're trying to bring God into this, this argument about women and men and are they different and who's an authority, egalitarianism versus complementarianism. We're trying to bring God into this. We're trying to make um, all the pronouns neutral so that they don't say he or she. And I, I think that all of this is smokescreen and is trying to fit God into what you believe. And I didn't hear her say that. I'm trusting what you said. And I would say that what she's saying is wrong. You, when you hear people say, the Greek says, this is their argument. The Greek says, it's time then to say, let me see if that's true. Let me go ahead and do some research. So if she is saying the discrepancy in translation from Greek, so that when it says he, that it's not in the masculine. When it says Elohim and Hebrew and Greek work differently as far as how masculine and feminine go. They're, they're different. 
And so is she saying they're neutral on, on both of them and that people are translating them wrong? And if that's the case, then she's just wrong. I don't know the point she's trying to make from it. I don't know where she's going with it, but I, when someone says the Greek says, and there's, there's some pastors that I respect that know Greek very well. Uh, Skip Heitzig uses a lot of Greek in his teachings and it's awesome, but I search it to go when I look the word up. I'll go to my Strong's Concordance, um, go to BDAG, look it up, see if, if what they're saying is correct. A lot of times people are trying to make their point and because the scriptures don't say what they want them to say, then they say it's, it, it's a translation problem. So Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. And Abba is the common name for dad. You can't say that's a translation error. When Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, he wasn't saying our spirit who art in heaven. He said our Father, and that's masculine. And it's there for a reason. We have the role of a father and the role of a mother. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm not saying one's more effective than the other. I'm just saying they work together. And God was compared to the role of a father in the Bible, rarely the role of a mother. Although I think there are certain places where it does do that, where it does say that. So thank you, Barbara, for your question. We have, let's see if we got another question here. Um, let's see. Let's see, we have, um, this is another question from Psych Man. Is this a different Psych Man? Are there two Psych Mans? I'm psyched out. I don't know what to think. Um, I love believers all things. Um, love, if love believes all things, are we not obligated to believe stories of miracles until we have reason not to believe them? Uh, I don't think so. I think that the love believes all things would be that I would believe the best in people. When someone tells me something negative about someone, then I'm going to go, love believes all things. It doesn't believe the negative thing, right? It's, he's not just saying what you say, what someone tells you, you have to believe. That would be gullible. That would be believing something negative someone said. It's talking about love believing all things, meaning I believe the best in this person. And I'm going to, if someone's talking bad about them, I'm going to wait to see it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to apply it to them now. So love believes all things. I do not think it makes me obligated to believe everything. I, I think psych man, that that would be an incredibly dangerous place to be that because love tells me to believe all things, then somebody tells me something, I've got to believe it. I got to believe it's true until I, it's disproven. We, we have been given God's word. We have the spirit of God inside of us. We have the gift of discernment. And when someone tells us something that is different than what God says, or when someone tells them something that happened to them, sometimes they can believe it's supernatural. It doesn't make it supernatural. It's okay to go, I don't know if that really happened to them. I don't know if I believe that that really happened to them. And I think that if we try to read that passage that way, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we can't question anything anybody's saying. All right. Thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate for the follow-up question and I appreciate you being here. We have a question from YouTube and this is Gloria. Gloria says, is it wrong for a Christian to attend or be at a wedding where the couple male and is male and female but the bridal party has transgender and homosexuals? Uh, yeah, so this is something that is becoming more common. It's something that our culture is is arguing about it's something that our culture is trying to pressure us on so the bible says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so we're all conformed by the world we all think the way we think because of the culture we're living in if we were born in another part of the world with a radically different culture 
we would have been formed by that culture or if we were born 3,000 years ago in a radical different culture, we would think differently than we do today in the culture that we have grown up in. So we have to ask ourselves when the culture speaks something different than what we believe. Now, do I, do I want to share my faith with those who are transgender? Yes. With those who are homosexuals? Yes. Can they be saved? Yes. Oftentimes there's a confusion. Am I going to distance myself from an event where some that are involved are transgender or homosexual making what point? What point am I making? If I'm invited to a wedding and there's someone who's there involved in it who's transgender or homosexual, um, that God doesn't approve in it, that we don't like you, um, that's my kind of my problem with that. I think you sh personally, now you've got to pray about this and I'm just giving you what I think. I think you should attend. I mean, if you're going to go anyway, then go, but don't, don't not go because of that. And don't avoid them. If you have a chance to meet them, meet them. Genuinely care for them. Genuinely love them. This is the way that we have an opportunity to be able to share and answer questions and maybe be able to have God open up their hearts. Because remember, genuine salvation comes when God moves in their hearts. Now, um, would you have the same question, Gloria, if there were an unmarried couple who were living together that were there as well? That's sin, just as homosexual acts are sin, just as someone who is, believes they're a woman in a man's body, and whatever actions may come with that. So I don't know what, with their confusion, if that's a sin or not. I think there are certain actions where it becomes a sin. Um, I think, you know, the Bible definitely says, don't look like, you know, man shouldn't look like a woman and a woman shouldn't look like a man. So there's that. Uh, but if someone says, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a man, but I, I think I'm, a, I'm really a woman inside, then to me, that's just confusion. And when they start, acting feminine, then I think that could be a problem. But here's the question. Are they saved? If, if someone, are they claiming to be a Christian? Because all kinds of people do all kinds of things. If you had to separate yourself from non-believers because they sinned, you couldn't be in this world. And the Bible says that. And so whatever sins someone might be involved with when they are non-believers, for us to separate ourselves from them is to send a message, I think, that we don't really love them or that we don't really care about them. Um, when the church, where there was a movement to boycott Disneyland because Disneyland was pro-homosexual, was pro-LGBTQ2, whatever it was. It was a while ago, uh, 20 years ago or so. Um, I wouldn't be involved in it because I, did, I don't think that the message the church needs to send is we don't like you and we want to hurt someone financially who, who likes you. I think I want to just love them and see them come to Christ. And I don't want to separate and do things that are um, hurtful to them just to do them. I think it hurts my inability to be able uh, to really be able to minister to them. Uh, there was another time when a group of people in Tucson, this is a long time ago, were boycotting um, one of the convenience stores in Tucson because they were selling pornog uh, pornography magazines. Um, that's not an issue anymore today. But um, I would come in to a pastoral meeting once a week and I had a uh, Dr. Pepper that I would buy in the morning. I didn't drink, drink coffee when I was younger. I drank Dr. Pepper in the morning. And I would come in with a big, and one guy there was so frustrated with me we're boycotting this to let them know and pornography hurts all these people and, and all of that's true. However, do I want to send the message to a convenience store that we Christians are gonna hurt you financially until you take that out of there? Personally, I don't wanna be involved in that. I would rather love them. I would rather hope the best for them 
and see them be able to make good decisions. I would rather influence the world by people getting saved and then making good and solid decisions. So, it's not wrong for you to attend the wedding. I don't think it would be wrong for you to attend the wedding of homosexuals. Now, whether you would want to or not, I don't know. But you're not involved in it. You're not showing support by attending. If anything, you're just trying to keep an open relationship. So, I tell people, pray, seek God, you make a decision. I believe a prayerful decision. I believe God can communicate to you whether you're supposed to go or not. I think that when it comes to a wedding with people who are gay, then you can make a decision and you can prayerfully make a decision. And God may want one person to go and may not want another person to go for different reasons. So that's why we need to be led by the Spirit. Sometimes things aren't so black and white. We just can't go uh, to certain passages and figure things out at certain times. Uh, things become more difficult than that. Okay, so thank you very much, Gloria. I hope that helps um, and I hope you are able to truly um, shine for Jesus. Uh, so we have another question. Make sure I get the right order here. Uh, we have another question from Facebook. And the question is, what uh, will a Christian who is cremated after passing still go to heaven? Is there a scripture on the topic? I do not know of a scripture on the topic. And if God says, if you're cremated, you can't go to heaven, what about someone who dies in a fire? What about someone who falls overboard and is eaten by sharks? Um, what about someone who's incinerated in a bomb? Uh, you know, just there's all kinds of things, questions we could bring up. And I understand why people might be feeling this way. But there's no instruction given in the New Testament on the proper way to bury someone so that they can make sure they get into heaven. Or that if you bury someone wrongly, that they are going to end up separated from God in hell. There's nothing with that. And I'm really, really confident about that. Um, is there some Old Testament passage that someone uses to try to say that under the law? Remember, we're not under the theocracy. We're no longer under the law. And I'm not saying there is. I don't know of a passage in the Bible that says you shall not be cremated. If you guys know, share it with me. I'd love to take a look at it because this question comes up a lot. Um, but we are not under the law. The law was a guardian, Galatians says, to bring us to Christ. And when we've come to Christ, we no longer need the guardian. Hebrews says the law was changed of necessity. The law was there for a reason because God was taking a group of people who were slaves, giving them all kinds of types and pictures of Christ, showing them what justice was like, and then bringing them into the place where there would no longer be a theocracy with Israel, but now we would be a body of Christ living for him. And so, if there is anything that would make someone think you can't cremate someone or, you know, like the, the issue of tattoos, I can't get a tattoo because the Old Testament said not to get it. Well, they tattooed for certain reasons and uh, they, were, they, they worshiped their false gods with tattoos. And what's the reason you're getting to tattoo? I'm not going to say all tattoos are right or okay. I'm just going to ask, what's the reason? And if the reason is a good reason, then okay, then that's absolutely fine. So thank you, I appreciate it. Good to have you here with us. Let's see if we've got another question here. We're getting close to the end of our Q&A today. It's been good to have you guys here. Uh, we have another question. And this, que and this question is from uh, YouTube. I recently lost a sibling who was not a believer and I'm sorry for your loss. That's really hard. Will I still feel grief in heaven knowing where my brother is? Um, yeah, so this is a question that I get when I got a minute left. Um, yeah, I do not believe that our, our minds are going to be wiped in heaven so that we don't know anything here. Um, you know, the Bible says, some are going to be beaten with few stripes and some are going to be beaten with many. Whenever you start bringing that up, 
then there are people who will say, well, you're making hell more tolerable for people. Um, also, I don't know how your brother died. Is there a possibility that in his last breath, he called out to God and, and made things right? Like the thief on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus is everywhere and Jesus could be drawing him. You know, I don't, I don't know that, but I know in heaven there will be fullness of joy and fullness of peace. I know that we will know that God has justice has been served. And if our violation of justice is someone being tormented throughout all of eternity when they were not as wicked as like a Hitler and you realize that there are other Christians who are going to disagree with me, they're going to say we're all just as bad and that's why, you know, they're, that we're all going to be tormented in that way. No, I think it's people are judged differently. We're not all judged the same and we don't all receive the same rewards in heaven. We don't all receive the same punishment in hell. And um, so I hope those things are a bit comforting to you. Um, I, I don't believe you'll be grieving. I do think that you will be aware. Um, I could be wrong about that, I guess. God could just take it out of our minds because we think, boy, if that, if my, you know, unbeliever who didn't receive Christ, remember, we're judged by the light we have. So there's just a lot of questions that we need to have be, to be able to make um, this, this re really more of an answer. There's just a lot of things that we don't know because we're judged by the light we have. The more that we know, um, the more that we are, are judged. Some are beaten with few stripes, some are beaten with many. People are more wicked than others. There's a difference in sin and God judges sin differently. So I'm, I'm not sure that I can give you a complete answer right now with the time that we have left. So I'm so sorry. Neil, I'm, re I'm really sorry. Uh, so that is our Q&A for today. It's been really good having you guys here. I hope that you guys have been blessed. We have a service in two hours at six o'clock. It'll be live on YouTube and on Facebook on the channels that you guys are joining us on. Uh, it is, we are gonna be starting the book of Galatians tonight. It's an in-depth study of the book of Galatians. We're gonna cover the first six verses and we're gonna be looking at an overview of the book and what it's all about. I'm really looking forward to the study in the book of Galatians and I'd love to have you guys join us. Uh, it's been great spending time with you. I hope that you guys have been truly blessed by this. And um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord give you peace. May you find yourself walking closer to Christ than ever before. God bless you.